Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast on Switch Sport. Continuing our semi-regular series of club podcasts, we feature Solihull Moors women, who play their home games at Abacus Lighting Community Arena and are in the Women's National League, Division 1 Midlands. Kevin Moore interviewed first team manager David Healy, development team manager Dan Kembury, club captain Sigourney Gowlett and midfielder Maisie McDonnell. But first, he caught up with club chairman Alex Alexandru, who prior to getting involved in the women's game, was involved with clubs at non-league levels such as Dunstable Town, whilst also working for Oxford United. Kevin began by asking Alex to share examples of the work he's done within the men's game and how these experiences have helped support his role and responsibilities for Soli Hull Moore's women. I'll uh, start with the Dunstable Town experience. I was just a fan, a volunteer at the club, And then about three seasons ago, we had a disaster with the club. The chairman, the manager and the team all walked out and left the club in dire straits. The fans had to get together and we had a fans takeover. And I was asked to become the chairman on an interim basis just for a few weeks. But the few weeks turned into a whole season. And I learned a lot in that time, basically how to work with virtually Uh, little or no finances, how to organise, how to become an administrator and working with other individuals such as a treasurer, vice chairman and a committee to help run the football club, which was playing at a high level in non-league football at step three. All those experiences helped me when I took over as chair of the women's team at Solihull Moors. Again, the team was in dire straits, very similar to the situation that I encountered at Dunstable Town. And I used my experience at Dunstable Town in order to help steady the ship with the women's team and then begin to rebuild it and take it forward. In relation to my Oxford United um, experiences, there I ran a community-based football and history education program where we went out to the schools. And again, that was important because we started making connections with the community and also started to get young people understanding what women's football was about because we would have speakers from the Oxford United women's team, such as the general manager and the captain, coming into the schools to give presentations and that allowed me to gain an initial understanding of women's football as I'd not been involved in it. So by the time I came to Solihull Moors, I had a basic understanding of women's football based on my Oxford United experience. Some recurring themes that crop up in the work you've done in the game include using football as a means to raise awareness around issues such as the FA's kick-out racism campaign, to support education and to preserve the history of the sport, such as the football and war network. How did you get involved in this project and how does the network help educate regarding the history of football? In relation to the football and war network, one of my other activities outside of football is as an educator. I work in all spheres of education, 
from primary schools, secondary schools, SEND schools, colleges and universities. And I'm a historian by background. So I've always had an interest in football and history. And the more I worked in football and read around football, the more I made connections between football, the military, society and war. And I have a very good colleague, a professor, Gary Sheffield, who is a renowned military historian. And I went to him with a proposal. I said, I've done a lot of reading around the subject and there's a lot of work going on. But I think this is a type of project we can take into schools to really develop an interest in history through football with young people. Gary in turn said, well, I know a football club chairman who happened to be Daryl Lills, who was at Oxford United at the time who has similar interests to us. So the three of us got together and we then set up the Football and War Network and with funding from Daryl to help us uh, get on our way. From that time on, through Oxford United, we began to develop a football and history project for schools, which worked really well. And we took it beyond Oxfordshire's borders as well into Bedfordshire. And along that, we then set up the academic side of the network which brings together football club historians, academics from different fields who have an interest in both football, war and the military. And through the network, we have set up a blog article series. We have set up a Twitter account. We hold seminars at football clubs and we ran one at Solihull Moors in November of last year which went really well. And basically, this is a free resource that gets everybody involved who has an interest in football and war. But it's also about reaching out to community and the fans in terms of getting a better connection with them through the football club. And we've done this not only with Solihull Moors, but with clubs such as Dulwich Hamlet, Charlton Athletic, Exeter City, where we've held seminars and we've had such a good response in terms of ordinary fans from ages of 13 to nearly 80 turning up. And they've listened to great presentations and they've really had their interest in football and history piqued by this, which is excellent. And again, it's a way clubs can connect with fans in a way that has a, a mutual benefit to both fans, the club and the historians involved. During your time as club chairman for Dunstable Town, you successfully applied for funding to help develop the club both on and off the pitch, with grand improvements in helping the club to gain FA Charter development and community club status. Did the work you achieved at Dunstable provide you with the background knowledge you needed to support recent developments at Solio Moors, such as the building of the Abacus Lighting Community Arena and 3G Pitch? For the women's team to train and play their home matches on. I feel my experience at Dunstable Town was invaluable in relation to how Solihull Moors uh, will develop and has developed to date. It has enabled me to share my experiences with other officials at the club. It has also helped to develop hopefully uh, long-term policies and strategies that will make Solihull Moors a community-based football club, which is what Dunstable Town became whilst I was at the chairman at the club. We are really focused on being a community-based football club. Daryl Eels, the chairman, is passionate about this and we have a very committed and passionate community manager, Becky Fox, who does great work in the community. So I can add my knowledge and experience to helping to develop 
community-based activity uh, within the club. Additionally, helping to set up youth and junior and send teams for Dunstable Town allows me to work with colleagues such as Claire Hasker and Anne Hasker in developing a girls and women's uh, football pathway ranging from tiny techers all the way to the first team. So yes, the experiences there have helped significantly with my work with the club. Who were the driving forces within Solimores that persuaded you to join the club? And what vision did they outline to you that would enable you to develop the women's section of the club, both on and off the pitch? The key driving force was Daryl Hills, the chairman. I'd worked with Daryl at Oxford United and I'd also worked with Daryl in relation to the Football and War Network. Daryl is, as I said before, passionate about creating a community-based football club that is sustainable and is open to all at Solihull Moors. As well as chairman for Solihull Moors Women, you have other roles within the club which include being a director, overseeing the club's football and education programme and leading on community-based activities. A recent development has been the partnership with Tudor Grange Academy Kingshurst to allow girls to study, train and play football for the development squad. How did this partnership come about and can you provide an overview on how this relationship works between Tudor Grange and Solihull Moors? Because of my background in education, I've become involved with the club's football and education programme that is run in partnership with Tudor Grange Academy Kingshurst. The programme has been running for approximately three years and the emphasis is on both the academic development and the football development of young men between the ages of 16 to 19. In addition to running the football and education program for young men, we've decided as part of the girls and women's pathway development program at the club that we want to introduce a girls football and education program that is similar to the one that we run for, for boys as well. To this end, we're now working again with Tudor Grange Academy Kingshurst, as well as the Tudor Grange Academy Trust to develop a program that will be both academic and football in nature. We place great emphasis on the holistic development of young men and women in education and football that will give them better life chances once they leave school. The development squad provides an additional pathway for girls to develop their interest in football, as well as open age, junior and senior levels. How does your role support these age groups within the women's section? And can you also share with us how the recently created Wildcat Centre is going to further promote Solomore's women within the local community? As I said before, we are very keen to develop a girls and women's football pathway. So with the assistance of Claire and Aunt Hasker, who run the youth and junior section at the club, we've developed a policy of creating this pathway that includes tiny techers that are age four and the creation of an FA funded Wildcat Centre. Both the tiny techers and the Wildcat Centre are initiatives that encourage young girls to come and learn and play football in a friendly and non-competitive environment to get them interested in physical activity and learning how to keep fit whilst enjoying the sport that you play. So hopefully once they've gone through the tiny techers and Wildcat Centres initiatives, they'd like to play for the various girls' youth and junior teams. And the hope is that we will have young girls that will progress from Tiny Techers, the Wildcat Centres, through the youth and junior teams, into the newly created development team, and onto the first team, to be a community-based football club that helps to deliver initiatives that gets all members of the local community 
involved in some form with football, be it on the playing side, the coaching side, volunteering, whatever it may be. And we see the girls and women's football pathway as a key element of that. We've discussed the work you do within the club around education, but you are also involved in community projects, including planning a community-based football tournament that will highlight mental health, knife crime and gang issues affecting young people. Who are the other stakeholders involved in this tournament and what are you looking to achieve long-term by highlighting these issues? Several months ago, the Creative Artists Alliance, along with John Gale, a former professional footballer, who did play for one of the predecessor clubs of Solihull Moors, Moor Green, came along to the club with a proposition to run a football tournament along with a number of related activities that would deal with issues such as well-being, mental health, knife crime and gang issues affecting young people. We said we would be more than interested to work with the Creative Artists Alliance and John to get this project off the ground and have been working over the last few months to get this project uh, ready to go. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, we've been unable to run the tournament, but hope to do so later on in the year. Along with the related activities and presentations based on the issues I highlighted a couple of minutes ago are all related to our community-based activities. And we feel it's important to run such tournaments and activities because these are issues that the community will relate to from a number of different perspectives. So hopefully as the year progresses and as the COVID-19 pandemic begins to ease, we are hoping that the tournament will be run and the presentations will run as well and that they will have an impact on all members of the community that have an interest in these issues. We've mentioned your interest in using football as a means to preserve the history of the sport, and another new venture you're involved in relates to the creation of a club museum and club history society to be open to the community. Nowadays, social media allows us to document events and situations relatively quickly. So, are you hoping the museum will provide an environment for fans of the club to meet and share stories and their experiences about football in general and what's it like supporting Solio Moors across all sections of the club. This is a really interesting project and it's one that I brought along with me uh, when I first came to the club. I have a real belief, as does Daryl, in the power of education and it can be delivered in many different ways. And it's fascinating that Solihull Moors and its two predecessor clubs, Solihull Borough, and Moor Green have significant history. Moor Green with over 100 years of history and Solihull Borough with over 50 plus years of history as well. And the two clubs, when they merged, they had a great history between them, but very little was done in terms of the history. And we felt that the history of these two clubs, along with the history of Solihull Moors, is a story that needs to be told, that can engage the community from many different perspectives. And the history of women's football is one. And that has had a checkered career. Up until 1921, women's football was a very positive influence on society. And then the FA, in their wisdom, decided to ban women's football And it was not until the late 60s, early 70s that women's football began to come into its own before being recognised again by the Football Association. So we want to tell the story of women's football and link it to the history of our own women's team as well. We want to turn the club and particularly the stadium into a museum so we can tell not only the history of the club, 
in all its forms, but also use it as an educational centre. So young people can come, learn about the history of the club. We can have older fans coming to reminisce and even talk to the younger fans as well and use the museum as a means to share stories, to learn about the club and also to help with other community activities, particularly around such initiatives as having a sporting memories cafe to work on issues such as dementia and Alzheimer's, where the football community is beginning to do quite a bit of work and we want to become involved in that as well because we think football is a powerful force in helping to deal with these issues. Prior to joining Solihull Moors Women, club captain Sigourney Gowlett's career in women's football has included spells at Leamington Ladies as club captain and manager of their under-16s, as well as being part of Coventry City's Centre of Excellence. During the club's training sessions, she discussed with Kevin her earliest experiences of playing football. Kevin opened the interview by asking Sigourney, what school did she play football for? And did she find the experience of playing football with boys a benefit towards helping her toughen up as a player? Yeah, so it was um, Bishop's touch work, to be fair. I felt like an equal with the boys. I learned skills, game knowledge, and improved my fitness, speed and strength. And I enjoyed all school matches and tournaments, uh, opportunities provided. And then I went to um, high school, Myton. And what I learned from primary school took me to a high level. I learned a lot from head PE teacher, Claire Round, as she was involved in women's football already before I got there. You joined Country City and were part of the Centre of Excellence. Who are the at the time that helped in your development as a player and with this environment being a more professional settle was your time with the country the starting point of your professional journey in women's football is that point you thought this is what I want to do as a career start with the uh, coach for me was Nikki Webb my centre of excellence coach yeah. um, it enabled me to um, self-challenge myself to improve myself and it provided a benchmark for me um, to what potential I had to move forward so prior to joining Solia Moores then you played for Leamington Ladies of which it also became captain and manager of their under 15s and under 16s now to begin with I want to focus on the time you were doing the captaincy for the club as well and when you were given the armband how did your relationship with the players change and what steps did you take initially to find and develop your style of captaincy on the pitch so basically I grew up with the majority of players uh, being from the area this is yeah. Leamington mm-hmm. um, I've often been captain um, the school and it seemed natural progression for me I obviously talked to the players uh, management and coaches and bounced ideas and got feedback and I felt responsibility to have a style of captaincy where I led by example taking pride in putting um, my playing capability I wanted to share my journey and encourage other players all abilities my style of leadership which is determination maximum effort and encouragement show importance of team ethic all players matter and work together rather than individuals and do you still think you're developing as a captain now you want to keep on learning keep on improving as a captain yourself yeah of course yeah you also coach and manage the under 15s and 16s team now captain at the club opportunity to do some management and coaching as well did this experience provide you with the opportunity to consider long-term more coaching opportunities with women's football and here you're now at Solio Moors have you discussed with the coaches about getting involved in the coaching side here as well yeah so um, firstly I uh, realised the potential as a player but also as a coach um, I need to develop my um, strategy and tactics for all areas of the pitch goalkeeping defence mm-hmm. midfield attack set plays fitness and how to use subs all this made me realise that I have the potential for a long time in the game not just as a player um, I've not yet discussed with Moors about coaching need to retire um, in the game first as I love playing still. 
let's hope it's some way off yet before you actually uh, go down the retirement route before you start coaching anyway, Sigourney. You know. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> How did you move to Solimores come about? And was being off of the captaincy one of the key factors, one of the, sort of the carrots that you wanted to play for the club? I got scouted. Yeah. Um, captain or not doesn't change my decision on moving to clubs. It's just a bonus for me. And uh, last season in the National League as captain, how did you find the experience of leading on the pitch in the Division 1 Midlands? I know it's been a season of change for the club. Well, certainly for the last two years, a lot of changes going on, on on off the pitch as well. Are you looking forward to renewing some competitive rivalries with captains of other local teams in this league for this forthcoming season? Yeah, so um, I'm very proud and uh, I love to thrive on the challenge of responsibility. And yeah, of course, um, competitive rivalry is something that I find as a positive uh, motivator yeah. anything can happen in football local rivalries are very special games well, with the current facilities here we are 3G pitch great setup here on a Tuesday night doing training and playing pre-season games as well and the investment support the first team and development squad has to be said is this paying dividends with the quality of players now being retained and signing for the club for the forthcoming season well as you can see here now um, the facilities are amazing here I feel like Solly Moores are really invested in the women's game so yes if we can match this with um, impressive results I'm sure quality of players will increase even more. Also provide healthy competition for places starting 11. And uh, we should also mention that you won Players Player of the Season Award. Having this level of recognition from your teammates, though, does this make you more determined to carry on leading the squad into what has all the makers have been a very exciting season ahead nationally for the club? You must be proud of getting the award, obviously. Oh, do you know what? Like, I was so overwhelmed. I didn't know what to say normally. Uh, I've never really lost a word, especially on the pitch. Not like you. Definitely not like me, but um, I was completely overwhelmed. And, uh, yeah, um, just can't wait to go into next season. And like I say, the players that we've got I love working yeah. with them mm-hmm. and me being one of the um, oldest as well got to keep the youngsters in touch and stuff like obviously I've been through on the pitch that I could work yeah. with them um, but yeah I'm dead excited and like I say yeah still now completely uh, overwhelmed by it and uh, yeah just uh, I can't really say much but yeah no, it was good Development team manager Dan Kembury's pedigree in coaching has involved working for Solihull Moors men's team and Birmingham City Women's Regional Talent Club he discusses with Kevin the training methods he has learned as a coach and how he will be implementing these techniques while managing the development team. Yeah, well, I've been fortunate to shadow some excellent managers and coaches at Birmingham City Women's First Team and with Sully Armour's Men's First Team, yeah. lots of Marcus Bignart, Mark Skinner, uh, and they've, they've all been really good to provide me the opportunity to you know, watch their sessions and stuff. Uh, and then, obviously, like you said, I've worked with the Birmingham City uh, Girls RTC. So, yeah, so... I'm really big on player development. I've always been like that as a coach because uh, you know when, when I've coached younger children and stuff like that, it's, it's a big thing for me. You know, I love nothing more from a personal perspective of you know coaching a player and watching them develop, whether that be over a few years or over a season and stuff. So it's a real big thing to me. So and obviously working for the the Moors Women First Team last season, it's an honour to have been given you know been offered the role yeah. by the club to take over as, as development team manager this season. Really excited. Pre-season's gone gone very well so far. And uh, yeah, just really excited to get back to back to football as, as most as most people are with the current situation. In terms of your coaching, then uh, Dan, badges you've got so far, the level of coaching you've done up to this point. Yeah, so um, I've done my FA level two. I'm hoping to work towards my UEFA B over in, uh, the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but speaking with the club, I think it's a good idea for me to sort of, you know, settle in with the development role and stuff like that, yeah. and then hopefully, you know, start working towards that within the club. Because I also work for the uh, football education program as well. Which is the, uh, the the lads, and uh, again that could help me, you know, working towards my life a bit, which is something I, I really want to do, and I, I want to get through all my badges and go as far as I can. Really, there's an opportunity to come and work in a club like this, and they're all really supportive. You know, uh, all the coaching staff that I've worked with, Miles Cooper, I work with for the football and education program, is. Uh, yeah, he's been really supportive of me over the past year or so when I've been in that role. 
going to touch on the, the development squad in terms of recruitment then how's it going currently in terms of recruitment Dan is he going at a steady pace sort of pace you expect at this stage it's only early days isn't it yeah, really? but, yeah, um, yeah. is the recruitment um, going quite well is it it was a slow start to start with obviously you know with the uncertainty of when football was coming about so trying to recruit players was a bit slow to start with but because as a club they've got so much to offer with the facilities yeah. um, that we've got and the infrastructure that the club's building and stuff there's you know, a big pull for, for players. I mean, we've got players that could have played first team football at leagues, you know, in and around the Moors first team, and they've wanted and the younger players, and they've wanted to come to the yeah. uh, they've wanted to come to the uh, development team to you know have a pathway into the first team eventually. We've also had a, a few players that have come back that were younger players that were with the first team last season, and then moved on to get first team football elsewhere, and they've wanted to come back and you know second bite at the cherry, you know, get back involved and get their yeah. foot in the door, and hopefully, uh, you know, the, the plan is to. Uh, to get them, you know, pushing on to the first team eventually, and again, that's where me and my staff are, are really, you know, looking, yeah. looking to work with them. Yeah, but from a recruitment perspective, I mean, most of the key positions are filled. Could do with maybe you know a few more centre halves just to yeah. just to complete the team. Mm-hmm. And from a staff perspective as well, I've got uh, some good staff around me who I've worked with previously in, in previous roles, and they're all staff that are trust and are hardworking and. Uh, you know, it's a pleasure to work with them again. We'll touch on the fact that you know the development squad is linked with Tudor Grange Academy. Yep. Which is great to see that. I mean, I spoke to your colleague Alex about that, and that's a great sort of pathway again. Yep. Another example of the Moors engaged in the community, really, isn't yep. it? Yeah, yeah. But that provides the educational side of the player development starting this September. Correct. Uh, a lot of clubs, like non-league and women's side, they have like a, a setup where like one side is education, one side is on the pitch playing the football as yeah, well. Yeah. But will your work be purely focused on the on the pitch activities only, or do you think you'll get involved on both of those aspects of the uh, relationship with Tudor Grange? First and foremost I'd like to thank Alex for you know making that link and stuff yeah. it's going to help us with obviously player recruitment and it's, he's all, I mean Alex is working tirelessly for, yeah. the, for the club on you know a lot of aspects especially with the community side and, and the football and education side for boys and girls for me I think having such a, a hard working person as Alex it, it eases it up for me to work on the on, on field stuff and, and the training ground stuff and, and the match day stuff mm-hmm. but as and when you know I, if I can support Alex in any way obviously you know I'd be interested in doing that and I think it's important because then it's shows the the willingness from not just the higher members of the club but also the staff you yeah. know, the management and the coaching staff that they really want to help you know form the link and, and help it grow and, and go strength to strength year on year which is obviously you know where we want to get to uh, as a club it's important you've got that you know convey about a players and they feel part of something special and, and they see a pathway for themselves because I think it's hard I think you know with certain levels as well you sometimes have your first team you're under 16 yeah. and there's no real sort mm-hmm. of pathway whereas I think you know, having something like a football and education program, then leading to the devs team, it really shows that convey about and and that and that pathway that players can can progress through, and it, and, it, and it's an incentive for them as well. Yeah. You know, to come in and not just train Tuesdays and Thursdays as the football and education players, but to try and you know knock on the door and get minutes in, you know, on, on the Sundays in the league and mm-hmm. stuff for the dev team. So, it's really have you, good. Have you had a chance to go to Tudor Grange yourself then, Dan? You and Alex, have you gone down and, and done presentations yet or had a tour around the college there and had to see what they're doing? Or? Uh, not as yet, obviously because of COVID and stuff, it's been yeah. a bit difficult with the current situation. But as I said, with the lads F and E, we're based at Tudor Grange Academy anyway, so I know I'm quite familiar with the surroundings there. You know, I work there obviously most days in the week as yeah. well, so uh, it's excellent facilities there. You know, they've got... Uh, they got all you need with the 4G grass pitches and uh, obviously the education side as well, which is which is good. And uh, will you and David use the development squad as an opportunity to coach both the first team and the development squad to a similar approach tactically on the pitch? So if a player, for example, moves up to the first team, yeah, where it's 4-4-2 or 3-5-2, you know, if the if the coaching and the training, the tactics is the same, mm-hmm. development and first team as well, yeah, is that going to make it an environment that players will be used to? Is that going to is that your plan? Sort of like as players come through, they get used to a similar style of approach and tactical play. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think in an ideal way, we've got the club's values and stuff of how the club wants to play and the club's philosophy. Uh, and obviously, you know, the club want that to be implemented, men's, women's, and all yeah. the way through mm-hmm. the uh, through the pathways and stuff. So yeah, that is a big thing for us. Obviously, you know, I'm in contact with Dave and stuff all the time about sort of how we do things and stuff and, and how we're looking to set up our teams. I think it does depend though, because obviously the style of football that you need for the women, the open age team, yeah. is slightly different to the style of football you potentially need in the dev team. But I think what I want to do as well with my players, especially in their positions, for example, like the forwards, yeah. is I want them to try different roles. So part of their progression and development is to you know challenge them in different roles. So maybe the you know work on with them out wide in wide areas and work with them you know in central areas as well. Because I think again it's important, especially for younger players, to have that opportunity to you know, experience a different position and yeah. stuff. And that way they get a better understanding of, of it and it, it makes it more you know, makes them more versatile players for, you know, when they move into open age. And it gives them more of an opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be with Moors or else obviously ideally with Moors or, or elsewhere to work in, in any position they're asked to. And um, in terms of the pre season games for the development squad, do you have a big saying which teams they play against in this run up to the start of like more competitive games? Yeah, to be fair to Dave he, uh, he, he lets have a free run on finding fixtures and stuff to play against and uh, that's important for our girls as development players to yeah. prepare them because you know they need to have that physical edge, especially if they're going from into the first team and stuff. And we've had going back to player recruitment as well. We've had a couple of players that have stepped up from the under 16s and mm-hmm. played friendly games for us, yeah. and that you know they've been fantastic. It's important, obviously, to you know to choose the pre-season schedule right because we have played so far. We've played open age teams and stuff. A good test to see how uh, how far they've come from a development level perspective. And with those games as well, are you looking to sometimes pick some away matches where playing a competitive team with the experience of getting on the, the minibus or the coach, going to an away venue, getting yeah. used to like, you know, if you want to be competitive as a player, sometimes you've got to go to like tricky, tough away games yeah, yeah. to try and get three points. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you've got some of the teams, you know, in our league and obviously we've got a lot of respect for them, you know, your West Broms yeah. and your crew and they've got excellent setups and stuff. And obviously for those games, you know, we're going to have to travel to it and they're going to be going to some amazing facilities, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah, uh, we don't want obviously. I mean, the players will be the players won't be phased by that. But uh, you know, it's nice to have them prepared for it going into the season. So, like I said, with the younger players, you know, to have that opportunity to get used to it and get a feel of it. But I think I don't, I don't think our players will be too phased by much. I mean, especially with the you know when they're younger and stuff, they're sort of just focused on the football mm. and that yeah. sort of the occasion, as it were, doesn't really get to them. They just take it in their stride, really. But no, as you said, it obviously is important to be playing a good standard to get them, you know, ready for the season to start. In terms of long-term target for the development squad, is the long-term target for the development squad to be a pathway for players to then move up collectively as a squad to become the first team? I think first and foremost, obviously the main aim with the development team just starting up this season is to sort of get the players in and get the recruitment in and then obviously then we'll identify the players that we think. Obviously, ideally as a club, we want to uh, progress the girls to one day, yeah, like you said, we're playing together in the first team. Obviously, that's the ideal. That's yeah. the aim, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you see it you know, with the likes of Barcelona, with La Masia, they the players that have developed and worked together, you know, and, and they've come into the first team together and, you know, go from now, obviously I'm not comparing us to Barcelona by any <laughs> Not yet means, anyway. But not yet, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think that's the sort of model that we want to go for, you know. We want to get the girls together, used to playing with each other, and I think that will only pay dividends, you know, to make it into the first team together. Mm. Obviously, in the meantime, I think success-wise, it would be good to have players, you know, even if it's just one or two that get yeah. pulled into, mm-hmm. even if it's getting the experience on a match day and stuff, especially, you know, with some of the less than experienced players and the younger players, to you know, have a feel for that national league match day experience and stuff because yeah. there's a big difference between development of football and open ages. I'm sure you know you'd understand from watching and stuff. And uh, obviously myself working in it, I've seen you know the difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so short term, I think a success would be to get you know development team players um, into that first team. You know, by the end of the season, I think that'd be success from from our perspective. 
you know, obviously, you know, we want to do as well as we can in the development league as well and give players the opportunity to showcase what they've got and go from there. In terms of yourself, from your personal journey, in terms of coaching, Dan, yeah. where would you want to see yourself five, ten years down the line in terms of coaching? Do you want to be like a manager of like a non-league team, a women's team at like a high level, WSL, for example? Are you one of those people who just want to stay in the game and keep on working your way through coaching and development yourself, are you? Yeah, for me, uh, I'm really ambitious. You know, I like to... Sort of, I've, I feel like I've had been fortunate to experience, you know, all different avenues of football, whether yeah. it be girls' development, boys' development, men's first team, women's first team. You know, I've been very fortunate with the opportunities I've been given. Uh, obviously, I did a lot of work voluntarily, you know, to get to there. And obviously now, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sort of really, you know, taking myself seriously with the coaching and. Uh, I just want to, you know, progress as far as I can in it, and whether that I don't want to say pinpoint, you know, just women's football or just men's football. You know, my current role, I'm fortunate to work with both the lads with the football education program and the women with the development. So, uh, and obviously at Blues RTC as well. So, uh, just I think getting the experience, and then, yeah. you know, when I finally sort of find my niche as it were, because I'm still a young coach, then that's when I can really sort of focus on that one avenue of what I want to go down. But in the meantime, it's just getting myself about and. Trying to leave good impressions wherever I am uh, as a coach and work hard. I think, you know, that's the biggest thing you can do if you want to progress anywhere in life is work hard and make a good impression. That's all I try and do. Midfielder Maisie McDonald's earliest experiences of playing grassroots football included playing for Kingshurst Pavilions. Here she reminisces with Kevin about the local derbies and teams she looked forward to playing against. With me attending the school in the local area and a lot of girls in the Solio Borough being attracted to the game of football, there's many local derbies which I used to count the days down to. Mm-hmm. I think first of all, Marston Green was probably our most local rival team at the time. However, also the likes of Solio Moors youth set up and a few other teams which I'd always scrub my boots up before and look forward to playing. There's quite a few players in the Marston Green area who sort of play a lot of football here, don't they? You know? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that kind of area attracts a lot of women's players. And I think at the time there wasn't many teams set up with a women's side kind of thing but as time's moved on and definitely now it's a lot more established yeah okay then so uh, from Kingshurst Pavilions then uh, Maze, you then moved on you were approached to join Solio Moors which began the first of two spells at the club at that time what was the scouting network like in the area we just touched on things like Marston Green were there other clubs who were you considering joining at the time or were they the first team in the county you thought I'll go with them uh, well, I was asked to move over to the Moors at around age 13, and with the girls on my team slowly losing the interest to the game, I knew I was ready for a move. There was a few teams that I was looking to go to at the time, but due to it only being grassroots level, the scouting industry wasn't really a big thing in the, in the youth setup. However, I did go to the likes of West Bromwich, Ambry and Birmingham City, and I did get through to the, uh, further trials with West Bromwich, but I just didn't enjoy the atmosphere that was around, so I didn't take it any further. So do you think at that time then uh, the temptation could be onto the Albion or whatever, but you felt locally at the time that was the right thing for you at that time to do that? Yeah, definitely. I was playing with the people that I enjoyed most with and I was at a club that was local to my home and that I'd yeah. always been brought up about. So I was happy at the time where I was. So after a successful first stint with the Moors then you won League and County Cup success. And uh, looking back at that time the squad you played in, who were the standout players and characters can you remember that contributed on the pitch? Oh yeah, the first season I had at Moors was probably what I'd say the best season I've ever had in my football we won the county cup we won the league both in the same year and I played alongside some of the top girls who are still now turn up and play against in this national league with players at the likes of Boldmere St Michael's and um, Leafield Athletic uh, and even girls that have moved on to go play WSL2 and even higher but I still keep in contact with all of them. 
So I'm going to throw some names at you. People like Alex Lydiard, Daisy Clements, so you must know them. People yeah, like the air. Okay, well, yeah, we, yeah. we know Alex on Switch, don't we? You know, so there you go. <laughs> I have a couple of seasons of the Moors youth team at the time folded and you joined Solior Sporting. At that time, you stayed local, you went to Solior Sporting, but did you consider at the time playing for other clubs further across the West Midlands? Uh, yeah, I think my options were open to anyone that had a good uh, pathway and good up and coming set up, really. But I think uh, Solior Sporting was a few of the girls that left Moors were going to that team so it was just a kind of I'll follow my friends kind of thing mm-hmm. and I can only thank Solio Sporting for the opportunities that they offered there with the setup and the pathway to where I am playing today. We'll touch on that actually no Maisie because at Solio Sporting our club as you just alluded to there they've got a recognised pathway for youth and open age football I looked on the website recently actually they've got all sorts of men of age groups on the men's side and the yeah, women's side to be fair yeah. and your time at the club also enabled you to play in the Westman's Regional League Division 1 South so at that stage in your career at your age at that time quite a good sort of good level to play at really wasn't it so how did you find playing that season in the league and did you learn more about yourself as a player and how you want to develop as a player on the pitch yeah definitely playing in that league for the first time was a dramatic step up really as I made my first debut at the only age of 16 so I could have still been playing youth football um, but it was a big step up which was a challenge and I was willing to take it with both hands which I did it made me realize my strength and weaknesses and there was times where I come away from games upset so I thought I'm better than this and mm. I can offer more to it but I just couldn't get to my full potential at the time However, I had to realise that I was only 16 and there was yeah. players maybe nearly double my age that I was playing against and I was doubting myself. Definitely the right stepping stone which I needed to take to be where I am today. So you look back at that time, you think like, I'm glad I did that because uh, you took me as a player mentally and physically at the same time. You were learning all the time really, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. definitely. It was a constant learning path. Every game I'd go into it and learn something new and take it away and implement it in my yeah. next game. So last year then you re-signed for the Moors and you rejoined the club that has gone through some, let's be honest about some dramatic changes on and off the pitch, you know, from the first time when you got involved in the club to now. Well, it's almost like a different club really in many respects though, isn't it? But compared to your first time at the club, Solio Sporting would have been a very supportive environment to develop as a player, but was the opportunity to play in National League too tempting to turn down? Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, Moors was always a club that meant something to me due to me spending my youth days there and achieving so much of them in a short period of time. In addition, when Sarah Westwood was the manager here yeah. at Moors, she asked me to move on a number of occasions when she knew I was playing open-age football. However, I was happy where I was at Sporting and I thought it was my home playing with the right people. David Healy, who the manager is now at Moors, offered me the opportunity and I can't thank him enough for that. And I remember last time we caught up, was it was actually post-match after, unfortunately, we lost against Sutton Town ladies in the Birmingham County Cup. But uh, since then, there's been steady progression on the pitch over the previous season playing for the club. How would you rate your first season last season playing the National League from a personal point of view? I think this season in the National League, I was just finding my feet because the step up even from the Regional Prem and Regional Division 1 is massive to the National League. You're playing with the likes of Wolves and Lincoln City, which mm. are top club. However, I think towards the end of the season, I was finding my feet and I was getting hold of the game a lot more as we was becoming more successful and I can only thank David Healy and all the coaching staff and not only that the players around me that have supported me throughout that time because I'm still young I'm only 19 so playing National League at this age still is a big step up but it's a challenge I'm willing to take but also a great opportunity as well, isn't it? It's put, a great way to put yourself in the shop window and yeah, let people know what you want to do long term as a player, really, isn't it? You know, yeah, that's definitely. really good. We're getting ready for the start of the new season then, but how is the training and the pre season preparations been going with the squad currently? And now that you've had a debut season in National League, are you feeling more equipped as a player to deal with the fiscal demands for the forthcoming campaign? Yeah, definitely. When I first come into National League, the tempo is a lot higher naturally, so the fitness has to be there. But I think um, with how we've started pre-season, the facilities that Moors offer with free gym memberships and training twice a week, so three hours of a total, I think I'm more than ready for the pre-season. So, yeah, bring it on. You're training twice a week. Outside the training here tonight, you'll be on a programme waiting for things to do during the course of in between the training sessions. Yeah, definitely. So we have a strength and conditioning monitoring 
coach that will give us stuff outside to do at home and stuff like that, as well as our gym memberships mm-hmm. and the weekly gym routines that we have to follow. Also, congratulations on winning your community award as part of the end of season awards. I saw the stuff on Twitter. Can you show us what the work you did to, had to do to win the award? And does this playing for Sawyer Moore's women encourage you to use your role and your, your responsibilities as a player to actually engage more in the community? Is it not just about football sometimes and we win stuff like this? Yeah, I think definitely. I think uh, you can turn up to a presentation award and win um, top goal scorer or players yeah. play and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but that's everything that gets recognised on the pitch. This was an award that got recognised outside the pitch. It's not only turned up and playing 90 minutes yeah. or whatever each week. It was uh, I was involved with the youth team at Moors, the under-12s, as well as getting involved with a Wildcats programme yeah. that Moors are running here, mm-hmm. so getting young girls in the community playing the football on a Monday evening, so I was coaching that as well. First team manager David Healy's journey in football has provided him with opportunities to work abroad, in particular working for the Craig Bellamy Foundation with Sierra Leone's national manager Johnny McKinstry as a video analyst and goalkeeper coach. Kevin began by asking David whether the work he did in Sierra Leone helped in terms of networking and opening doors for other coaching opportunities, both abroad and in the UK. On a personal note, it helped me because I did some analysis out there and I've done some previously and I kind of realised that wasn't what I wanted to do, that weren't a career path when I was out there doing the goalkeeping coach, that's what... I thrived on it, absolutely loved it. So when I came back, it was kind of, I focused on, can I get a degree that's going to get me into into um, into PE teaching and can I carry on the goalkeeping mm-hmm. uh, yeah. coaching? And um, luckily enough, not only did uh, Crew Alex ladies have an advert out for a goalkeeping coach, their manager also knew Johnny McKinstry that had worked in America. Right. So yeah. this is where the networking comes from. Like I said, you know, I might not have uh, stretched myself much as a coach when I was in the States, but... They all know each other, don't they? It exactly. makes your path, your career path, a lot easier, doesn't it, really? Your yeah. Connections are very important, aren't they, really? So, yeah. yeah. So I went to Crew after that as a goalkeeping coach, and that meant a lot to me, as I said. You know, as a as a crew fan, or Man yeah. United fan, growing up crew yeah. fan, so yeah, it meant a lot. And working with Nick Pierce, who was the crew manager at the time, he probably doesn't know this, but I learned a lot, lot from him. He was great, and especially the way he dealt with the players. And I like to think, you know, I've taken that on board, and mm-hmm. you know, I put that into process with our players as well. Uh, he was a fantastic manager. I was only there for a year because because of the travel. Yeah, I would have liked to have stayed yeah. longer. I loved it there. I learned a lot from Nick. If it wasn't for him recommending me to Russ, obviously you work with, then I probably yeah. wouldn't be at Moors now. But uh, Crew Alexandra, the ladies' team, if you play them in a pre-season, yeah. it's got a bit of kudos to it, isn't it? It's Crew Alexandra, isn't it? You oh, know? they're a huge one. League One club now. Loved yeah. that last season. Yeah, we've tried to play a few clubs that in pre-season that have, um, like you said, got a bit of kudos about them and play football the right way. Crew, obviously, when you think of teams that play football the right way and got kudos, they were top of my list, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. We'll move on then. So moving on from Crew then, and you're involved with Solly Moores and you start at youth and junior level of which you first started with Josh Wright now there were some difficulties to begin with understandably in terms of losing players and having to recruit and rebuild the squad together but nevertheless you and Josh were determined to persevere and you got players in you got them believing themselves in terms of confidence as well and you got a promotion and establishing the competitive nature of the team as well now on a personal point of view some managers will reflect and say my successes were when I won a cup or a trophy or I didn't get relegated or got promotion but that period of time where you had to rebuild the team pretty much from scratch and make them believe themselves on a personal basis would you class that as one of your best personal achievements yeah without a doubt between then and now it's just a mirror when we took over the women's team we had players leaving left right and centre yeah. It was exactly the same. It was about rebuilding, completely rebuilding the team, 
in a tough league because they'd work their way up pretty high. And Mark Fogarty asked me to come in and um, you know, he was always backs against the walls and you know, we got relegated yeah. but we managed to keep the core of the team together and then we, we brought players in who obviously heard that me and Josh were doing things the right way and yeah. looking to improve players, not looking to, to get rid of players. That experience it, it has really helped me with this women's team. Me and Ross, as you know, we do the podcast together, Ross Thorpe, and we've spoke to previous managers who like go through um, a situation where they go through a relegation, and sometimes they go through a promotion. But if we touch on a relegation for a moment. You know, it's sometimes you learn more about yourself as a manager, don't you, when you go through those tough times. But going back to that situation with the youth team, you must have known pretty early that like you're losing players. But was it a case you and Josh thought, no, we, we'll stick at this because we've got a core of young lads here. Like if we can get their minds right and get their confidence building up, we believe long term it's going to pay dividends for the club. Mark Fogarty again. In- Introduced me and Josh, and um, we had the same kind of philosophy, and that we were there to improve these youth players, yeah. not come in, get rid of them, and bring in a load of good when little you're, tweaks here and there, and improve them. Like, yeah, yeah. When you're like, when you're a manager of, of Solly or Moors at that level, it'll be easy to bring in a whole whole yeah. new team. But we just wanted to, at the end of the day, it was about building the players up through the four corner model, and not just throwing them out and bringing in new players. And I think we both did that very well. Obviously, like I said, the first season we got relegated. After that, we got promotion and we stabilised. And I do feel that most of the players, if not all of them, improved through coaching. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we became a stable club. I think that when they got to under-18s, they finished fourth in the league. That was the league that we got relegated from when we first took over. So, yeah. You know, it's not. Uh, if, if anyone looks on that paper, they probably wouldn't think it was a great achievement. But when me and Josh sit down, which we do regularly, you know, we both reminisce and think, you know what, we, we're really happy with what we did with that squad. They're playing now. A yeah. lot of them are playing. They're still involved in uh, football, aren't they? No, you retain their interest, their enthusiasm, yeah. and they're still in the game now, aren't they? Yeah. In itself, is a fantastic achievement, really, isn't it? Yeah, and we th- we couldn't ask for any more than that. And. Ant Hasker takes the uh, the AFA team now, and I think there's probably four or five boys in there. You know, it's brilliant. I love that. I really do. And uh, come full circle then, David. So you joined Sonny Moore's women, initially at the time as goalkeeper coach, but working with the manager at the time, Annie Zaidi, and Dan Kembry. We know Dan is now with your development squad as well. It was mm. difficult to begin <laughs> with, to say the least. No doubt we'll touch on that. A key moment was, though, when you managed to retain your National League status and that decisive 2-1 win against Steel City Wanderers. Millie Kirk, I've met Millie, you know, I know she's at other clubs and everything, Millie Kirk, an absolute character getting the winning goal but that game beating Still City for you was that real turning point was did you feel like you know retain our league status we can only go up from here I don't think it was a turning point it was a it was a fantastic game to be honest though we were all over them we were absolutely really? all over and we must have had you know 15 to 20 shots on target and they've hit us on the counter and you're thinking oh one no, of those games where to go yeah, yeah. and I know where they get a goal yeah, we're going to get relegated <laughs> but uh, we had a we had a girl that was uh, kind of on loan coming for the last three four games. Uh, Pepper she scored a great goal, and then obviously like you said, Millie. You know, Millie was fantastic for us, and she scored a screamer, and that kept us up. And it was you know it was a brilliant game. But I don't think anybody at the time was under any illusion that that was just paper in the cracks. Yeah. It was paper in the cracks. He kept us in the league, which was brilliant. But to say that we we were going to go from strength from strength at that point was was unrealistic. You still felt there's a bit more work to do. I mean, we should actually place on record mm. the amount of support you've had from Alex in the last couple of years in mm. particular, because he really buys into the fact that like he, he wants the, the women's team to be competitive, 
you talk about things like the pathway, Dan doing the development squad as well, and all these age groups from you know from eight years up to like 22, 23, you, you can part with this club now, can't you really? Yeah. Well, after that game, obviously Annie left, and Alex asked me to take over. Obviously, Solly or Moore's had a, a complete takeover in themselves. Yeah. Alex uh, was one of the directors who was asked to be chairman of the women's team. Him and Daryl came to the end of season awards, and I think they got a flavour for what disarray that the team was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, credit to Daryl. Daryl put a lot of money in from his from his own wallet into the team, yeah. and, and Alex had the, you know the enthusiasm. I sent Alex an email with about ten points to say that you know I'd love to take over it's a great opportunity for me but we need to correct this this and this you know the girls are still paying subs which at national league level you know that's to me that's a disgrace yeah they're washing their good point kit. actually yeah they yeah. didn't uh, they were they were using two-year-old kit they were training at, at college once a week ever since then you know you can see for yourself while you're here we've got our own 4g pitch now they the girls have got all the support they need they train twice a week they've got a paid physio They've got a, a scout, or they'll be looking for another scout. Yeah. Um, they've got you know goalkeeper coach. I brought Josh in, UA for B coach. They've got everything and more that they need now, and you know we want to keep giving them more. Mm-hmm. I want them to yeah, have yeah. everything that a, you know a championship team would have, um, or a super league team would have. Obviously, the girls aren't paid, so they can't be training three, four times a week. Uh, but we put on yoga sessions before their training. We put on some aerobics. We've got um, performance analysis. We've got people yeah. video in the game. It's a complete turnaround, and so much credit has to go to Alex because everything I asked for, you know, he'll make it happen. Brought in some great sponsors, and a lot of credit has to go for the sponsors. Set up uh, season tickets this season. Spoke to Alex, and you know, we've had. We've sold a lot of those, which has given us some, another income revenue just to, to put it back into the goals. But yeah. that's the main thing, that all the the revenues that we've been setting up is going back into the women's team. It's fantastic what the girls have got now. You know, a lot of teams will look at us and say, we've been lucky. We stayed up by the skin of our teeth with, like you said, Millie Kirk Wondergoal last season. Yeah. A lot of teams probably would have thought we'd go down if it wasn't for COVID. On a personal note, I think we were probably robbed of the opportunity to stay up because we brought in a couple of massive signings. We'd won two out of three games. I think if we'd stayed up, I think it would have been the biggest achievement in the league. I know Wolves would have gone on to win the league, which yeah. would have been a massive achievement yeah, for them, yeah. a great achievement. Yeah. But for us to stay up, when we started the season with four players, if we'd stayed up in the National League, I think that would have been the biggest achievement by far. And mm. I feel like we were robbed of that chance. And I'm sure a lot of people think... Oh, you know, you would have snapped the hands off and COVID saved yeah, yeah, you. And, yeah. But for me, it's not that. I think, you know, we could have stayed up and we would have really kicked on last season. We would have had a lot more belief in the team. So, you know, it's uh, different opinions. I remember when I came down here and I spoke to Maisie McDonnell post-match yeah. when unfortunately lost against Sutton Carfield Town in the mm-hmm. County Cup match. But even then, I could sense that, you know, you were rebuilding. You did bring players in. In terms of your retain list going into this forthcoming season, you've kept a lot of players. You're still building and bringing players in as well. So going into this forthcoming season, what's your ambitions now? I've watched today, you know, the retain list you've got of players. You think you're building a squad that can be competitive, like a minimum mid-table? At the end of last season, we had a couple of seven-day requests come in for some of our younger players, and they turned them down to stay with us. And I think that speaks volumes of what we're doing, what you're achieving, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, these were seven-day requests from top four clubs. <laughs> you know, they weren't just anybody in our league; they were top yeah. four teams. Yeah. So, in regards to next season, I'm not deluded. I'm not naive. We're not going to win the league. 
there's a couple of teams that'll be right up there. You know, hopefully Wolves will be right up there because they deserve it. They should yeah. have gone up last year. Based on last season performance, like yeah, without a doubt, and yeah. without a doubt they'll be right up there. They've got a great coach and a great team. Uh, like I said, I'm not deluded. There's no County Cup next year. That would have been our main cup winning opportunity. Yeah. But if we can get to the second round of the FA Cup, get somewhere in the League Cup or the League Shield, I'd be delighted with that. If we can get into the top six. That's absolutely superb. As far as I'm concerned, I don't think we'll be in a relegation battle next season. Mm-hmm. The signings that we've made supplemented to the signings that we made at the end of last season. We've got a really, really strong squad. We've got a young squad. And uh, my main ambition is just to keep these goals together for the next two, three years. And I think we'll be pushing we'll be pushing for the title, which might sound <laughs> might sound stupid. No, but it's a valid point, though, isn't it? Because if you believe you, if they knit together as, as a unit yeah. and, you know... Ferguson, uh, going back to you, to about Ferguson, like he bought the kids in, and then Alan Hansen goes, they can't win titles with kids, but they are kids, but if they bond and grow together, they only get better, really, aren't they? Are you seeing that already? You think, like, if I can keep this core squad together next two or three years, we can go places? Oh, without a doubt. That's my main ambition, just to keep this team together, give them everything they need to succeed. Like I said, teams came in and tried to sign our players, but if we give them everything they need to grow as players, then I think we'll keep them and we'll just keep progressing but at the same time big clubs like Wolves West Brom come in for our players I'll push them to go on that only helps us as a club as well we've got some fantastic youth players where they might have dropped down from RTCs come to play for us at the same time I know that they can be playing tier 3 if tier 3 local team comes in for them I'll push them all the way to go to that That that's only going to benefit them and it's only going to benefit us but if we can keep the team together, not lose players to rivals, you know, when I came in, we had a revolving door and the, the way that all the players were going were out out yeah. to one or two teams, which were our rivals. Local so, teams. You know, I'm, no I'm, wonder we were treading yeah. water for so yeah. long. We'd stop that. And like I said, if tier three teams come in, I'll push them all the way. If teams at our level come in, where it's a sidestep, we'll talk about it and hopefully they'll stay with us and hopefully we can we can kick on and the team like Solly or Moores the men's team the way they're so progressive the money and investment that they're putting into the women's team the coaching staff and everything else that they have around them I think that they're at the perfect club to succeed we're going to move on to the quickfire round now best player you've ever coached and why Mustafa Bundu actually just signed for Anderlecht shout out to Mus if you're listening mate unbelievable player when I got to the Craig Bellamy Foundation a load of the coaches said wait till we see this player yeah. he's unbelievable and I'll tell you what he was I've never seen a player like him he's so fast his finishing was unbelievable he's gone to Anderlecht he's got to be half good hasn't he absolutely yeah 22 years old yeah. 23 years old um, I think it's just a matter of time until he's in the Premier League if you was the manager of the Lionesses and uh, you could lead out England to your first competitive fixture yeah you can't pick Damson Park. You can't pick Wembley Stadium. If you had a choice of what stadium you could lead them out to your first game in charge as the England manager, Lionesses, which stadium would you pick and why? Oh, it would be the 3G at the back of Damson Park. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can fit around 300 supporters on there, so it would be all right with all the COVID restrictions. <laughs> I'm sure Alice will love that, won't he? You know. <laughs> well, he's the COVID officer at the moment, so probably not now. He'd want some more... Uh, some more sanitizers in place. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to go for Old Trafford then, but that's a great answer that is, David. I must admit, you, you've stumped me there. I'm hundred percent. You know. Okay. Now, normally when we have guests on the show, when they're into a player, we ask them sort of like pick the top five team, five aside team. I'm going to flip it a little bit now. You've got to pick your all-time backroom staff. You can pick a goalkeeping coach, 
an assistant manager, a physio, and somebody in charge of strength and conditioning. Who would be your backroom staff and why? The easy answer is the ones I'm working with now, <laughs> because I probably should have given them a shout out from the start, but it's got to be Josh Wright as my, uh, my assistant manager. He was the one that's been there from day one, and you know, like we were talking about before, the youth yeah. and junior team. When I found out that I had a chance of bringing him in, absolute no ground. I'm so pleased he's come in. He's, he's made such a difference to this team already. Yeah. So that's a shout out to Josh. Strength and conditioning, I'm going to go with Jess Savage. So I'll give a shout out to both of them. But Savage came in last season. She was working at Cove United. And again, the girls just love her. She's so, so fantastic with them. So, you know, mm. we love Jess at the club. Yeah. Because he's a goalkeeping coach. Goalkeeping coach Aaron again is he's our goalkeeping coach. He was here through the difficult times last season and he stuck by us. Fran, who was our goalkeeper last year. We yeah. brought in Lucy obviously from the from Cup United playing in the championship, but Fran was our main goalkeeper last year and um, it was difficult difficult times for her you know, mm. while we were yeah. patching the team together and Aaron did some superb work with her and she ended up with the Young Player of the Season award so that's hats off to Aaron for that yeah, I think that award is as much for Aaron as it is for Fran So we've got the full squad you're alumni of like a coaching <laughs> staff then yeah. All the people I'm with now Exactly Well that's good to hear that, That's you know, a cop out isn't it It's your answers I, I can't comment any further <laughs> Dave you know what I mean I'm just here to answer, ask the questions but um, anyway moving on then thanks for your time today It's been an absolute pleasure you. talking to you Yourself Sigourney Maisie Alex and Dan Take thanks care you. Look after yourself and we'll catch you again during the course of the season. Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch.